Hello, everybody, and welcome to another House Divided podcast. Uh, we are coming off of a pretty good weekend, actually, for all of our Michigan and Michigan State sports. Jeremy, how are you? Doing good. It's uh, the first weekend since you know September that I've had a uh, winning football game to wake up to on Sunday, so uh, it feels great. Yes, and uh, Michigan definitely surpassed expectations as well. Uh, the only good thing about me beating you in Big Ten against the spread this week again is the fact that you can take solace in the fact that you thought Maryland was much better than they are. And so much more. Now, that's who Michigan State gets to play next. So even though you took them and lost because of it, Michigan State's probably a lock for a bowl game. It feels like it, right? But uh, this season's been really, really weird, so I am going to keep myself in check a little bit today. Uh, That will definitely fade by Saturday. But, um, yeah, it it felt pretty good seeing that Nebraska score. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, Maryland's really bad. (laughs) They're very bad. Yeah, yeah. It was a fun day of football yesterday, though. I mean, yeah, the big – Kind of shockingly. It was yeah. it looked like a bad week going into it, but uh, well, yeah, because it's a it's the week that the SEC chooses to play a bunch of FCS teams in late November. Yeah, but uh, it got you know the, the noon slate was pretty boring. I obviously I wasn't watching much of Penn State Ohio State, but uh, starting with the three thirty, it started to pick up, and then the night shift was great. Finishing off with uh, the Oregon game and Oklahoma game at the same time was uh, yeah pretty pretty fun. It was, yeah. I didn't get to I, – I got to see those night games, those noon games. I, I was working at the bar at the movie theater yesterday, so I got a TV right there to have games on. And Ohio State-Penn State was what I had on. And when I got to 21-0, I went upstairs to change the channel. And then I had to do a couple things. And then 15 minutes later, I look. Just – I think I turned it to, like, Illinois-Iowa because it was a one-score game. And then I looked at the bottom line, and it was 21 to 14. So I I went back and changed it again, and then Ohio State ran away with it. So I actually got to see zero of the Penn State rally. So that's a bummer. Yeah. Uh, It all happened in about five minutes. It was all just, you know, turnover-based. So um, I think that had a lot more to do with Ohio State – Ohio State maybe feeling bad for James Franklin putting his kids out there to not try and win a game. So that was what James Franklin was there to do. Oh, my God. It was horrible. So many times. So many bad decisions. Like, not even just, like, game management decisions, but the play calls that you're making on, like, third and four where you're throwing it behind the line of scrimmage. And, like, out of all the places that you're trying to get this Ohio State defense, speed is probably not one of them. You know? So... That's just James Franklin being James Franklin. Yeah, that yeah. was about what we expected. But now, to get to our teams, who both won yesterday against the color red, we'll start with Michigan versus Indiana, because this was a game we expected probably to be a little bit closer. It was only a 10-point spread, and most people were fading Michigan. Nobody really thought they were going to cover because of how Michigan-Indiana games have gone in the Harbaugh era and they blew him out 39 to 14 and that was something I did not see coming and it was definitely not good for my feelings over the next week because 
at least if they would have had a close win, I wouldn't have my hopes up at all about the Ohio State game. Now I do. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to temper your expectations, um, I would say I'd like to run that game back with uh, with Indiana staying healthy throughout the game. Um, uh, when it was interesting in the first half, all of a sudden you have Stevie Scott and his le- and the left tackle from Indiana injured on the same play. Uh, you have a they're already down Wop failure, and then you have another wide receiver hit his head off the turf, and he only played one more play, I believe, the rest of the game. And you had the backup quarterback Peyton Ramsey get hurt in the first half and continue to play, but uh, once once his weapons were gone and he wasn't 100, percent they were quite a different team. So I still think Michigan would have won and probably covered. I, I'm not trying to say the injuries were. What kept uh, Indiana out of it, but if you're looking at temporary expectations, I would say maybe the first half was closer to what the whole game should have been, but uh, Michigan certainly made adjustments, and that offense is clicking probably better than anyone could have thought they would this year. Yeah, so they moved up to 24th in SP Plus offensively after yesterday, maybe 26th. It was somewhere in that range after being down in the 50s early in the year. I really wish we could isolate it uh, from the Illinois game forward to see where they'd be because they've just been clicking on all cylinders for what feels like a, a month now, maybe a little more. And this is just – I mean, when people were picking Michigan to win the Big Ten this year, this is the offense that people were picturing. And maybe we're all just dumb for – Real, not realizing there would be some transition costs with a first-year coordinator. But regardless, happy to see it now. Um, my only highlights for this offensively were Shea Patterson is playing the football, not just that we expected going into his senior year, but when he first transferred and still kind of had that reputation as, the, as a five-star quarterback that just got hampered down at Ole Miss. This is the Shea Patterson that people were expecting. And as unfair as it probably was to expect that out of him from day one, it's really validating to see it happen here because the dude's playing super confident football and he's finally, we're getting to see him utilize his NFL caliber wide receivers. And speaking of NFL caliber wide receivers, goddamn Nico Collins, that dude I, I mean, I know there's always going to be a talent gap between Michigan and Indiana. And if we see him do it against uh, against Ohio State next week, it'll be a different story. But Nico Collins just feels like a lock to leave early to, for the NFL, and I wouldn't blame him one bit because he was making NFL catches yesterday. Yeah, he was exciting. And uh, uh, good to see Ronnie Bell, too, get, finally get in the end zone yes. um, after the season he's had. and. He's been, you know, for me, he's been multiple games, the best receiver Michigan's had. And, of course, uh, had the tough end zone drop against Penn State. So it was cool to see him get into the end zone there as well. But, yeah, Nico Collins, uh, I think, you know, again, the fan base maybe got a little too restless with a new coordinator. But uh, you can take some credit for if uh, Josh got his heard you guys because they are definitely just throwing it up to Nico and letting him do his thing now. And it is paying off big. Yeah, and uh, not to slight Donovan Peoples-Jones, who also had a ridiculous uh, touchdown catch 
and I think about 45, 50 yards. So it was a banner day for the Michigan wide receivers and obviously for Shea Patterson as well. Run game still never got going, so I'm a little bit nervous about that. That's two weeks in a row against Michigan State and Indiana. You really haven't been able to run the ball, but, you know, it's hard to really complain when you have two games in a row where you're throwing for over 300 yards and I think a combined nine touchdowns. Um, yeah, and I would say both those teams are teams that you don't really need to establish the run against because you are going to have success through the air, especially when if MSU is going to stop you, it's going to be when you try to run. I don't think that's the case of Indiana so much, but uh, but no reason to run. You guys uh, went with what is successful, which I think that kind of shows that Gaddis maybe has taken over a little bit because Harbaugh sometimes would force the run because uh, mm-hmm. that's his his leaning. And I think that's uh, that's one sign that you're you're letting Gaddis do his thing. Yeah, and so my la- the move on to the defense. Yes, uh, I put in the notes so. Indiana does did, but going into this week, have the 13th ranked offense per SP plus in the entire country. It's only eight spots behind Ohio State, and you held them to 14 points. If I'm being honest, I because like I said, I was watching at work. I didn't even realize the extent of the injuries uh, that Indiana was taking in the game. So I'll, I'll go ahead and temper that as well because I in my head I just thought it was really good defensive adjustments. Uh, but either way. Holding them to 14 points, especially after they went and scored over 20 in Happy Valley last week, and have had a pretty potent offense for most of the year. Seems like good progress for a defense that is uh, has progressively getting better all year. Um, yeah, and, and that's really all I have for this game. This was a game that Michigan ran away with again. It looked like it was going to be a shootout early in the game, but uh, glad to see them just put them away and be able to focus on Ohio State immediately without any of those usual worries that the Indiana game brings up. For sure, yeah. The only thing I could think of that was even concerning and he continued to play was at one point it was like Aiden Hutchinson might have hurt a shoulder that already had a brace on it, uh, but he had a sack after that. So he uh, <laughs> he seemed to be okay. Um, seems like he'll be there for the Ohio State game and, and playing well, so – that defensive line continues to get better and better each week. Um, Hutchinson and and you have McGrone at linebacker, just a lot of good players up in that front seven. Yeah, it is. And uh, you're probably going to lose Quiddy Pay next year, and you're probably going to lose Josh Uche, who was just a monster yesterday. But still, a lot of young guys who are really, really sh- showing some promise. Like Aiden Hutchinson is borderline playing like a – probably third team all conference lineman already as a sophomore. I can't wait to see what the junior version of him looks like. Uh, but time to move on um, to Michigan state versus Rutgers. Uh, I, they won 27 to zero. So that's good. I didn't catch a minute of the game. So I'll let you take over here. <laughs> yeah, it was a good win. Um uh, it was fun in the first half. I got to feel how maybe Michigan did a few years back because Rutgers had zero first downs in the first half. Um, so uh, they're on first down watch. They did get a couple on their drive in the third quarter there. Uh, so I didn't get to enjoy it as long as Michigan fans did. But, yeah, I mean, the final yardage was 395 to 140. Um, you know, Michigan State squandered some red zone chances that really could have made the score – even wider. Uh, so I think 27 nothing's is a little bit deceiving. It was never never in doubt, even though this team did lose a 28-3 to lead to Illinois. So I think 
that was the only thing that probably hung around in your head if you're an MSU fan to uh, actually have any concern. Um, yeah, it was just good to finally win. I mean, you can make all the the Rutgers caveats that you want, and you can talk about uh, wanting to have the backups play more and maybe some mismanagement things. But at the end of the day, winning for the first time in forever feels good. So uh, it's hard to complain too much about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it is good to see Michigan State. I mean, blowing that 28-3 to lead to Illinois, obviously, is going to make it so you never really feel comfortable, no matter who the opponent is. But it has to be there that Illinois is a six-win team and probably going to be a seven-win team after they play Northwestern next weekend. So while the name and the coach and probably the way they play when you watch them indicates uh, <laughs> they're more Rutger-like, they are an actual football team, whereas probably once it was 17-0 to zero against Rutgers, this game was never going to be close at all. No, no, and they weren't getting really, you know, it was once again – to some extent, MSU shooting themselves in the foot on offense versus Rutgers actually getting themselves stops. So, uh, you know, MSU was basically uh, doing what they needed to on third down continuously, um, and Cody White was going off, you know, setting career career numbers for himself uh, on the day with three touchdowns, and I want to say he finished with 11 or 12 catches. Like, you know, it was – it was pretty awesome to see. Uh, I don't know why they hid the RPO all year because uh, every time they wanted to use RPO and hit Cody White in the slot, it was working. But uh, I guess I'm happy it came out at some point. Um, just don't know why we saved it for Rutgers uh, after a five-game losing streak. But, um, you know, they continue to show that maybe if you're going to retain one person on the offensive side of the ball, maybe Brad Salem uh, can't be judged on this one year alone. I would agree with that, honestly. He just, uh, with all the injuries that Michigan State has had and with uh, just in general the lack of talent, especially with a lot of so many running backs fleeing to the transfer portal and things like that, he hasn't really had much to work with, and I think he has done pretty decent, uh, more than I expected, certainly, uh, to revamp the MSU offense. Um, Yeah, any – any other thoughts on this Michigan State Rutgers game? Uh, so on the game itself, maybe not. Uh, although there was one funny thought of, uh, I do want to give a shout out to the Rutgers marching band. Uh, <laughs> Rutgers finally scored some points late in the fourth quarter. It looks like um, they kicked a field goal, like a 44-yard field goal, but there was an obvious holding call. And the band, as the ref was telling them that the points were going to be taken away, they just finished the fights on. <laughs> you know, they didn't get to play it much all day. They just kept going. So I pretty I appreciated them tweeting through it, getting through that. Uh, you know, good on them. They they uh they persevered. <laughs> um because of course uh being that as a forty four yarder after the ten yard holding penalty, uh Rutgers punted. So <laughs> um good for them. Good. Uh that helped us preserve a shutout, which is great. Um yeah, yeah. And the only thing is probably more of a big picture thing for the off season, but uh, I think it needs to be discussed at this point and uh, that Mark Antonio needs a situational coach because his in-game situation decision-making is just not great right now. Um, and to be honest, probably never really was that great, uh, but he was always uh, able to out-talent the lower parts of the league and 
and not mess up. But even in big games, he's made some interesting calls that you're just like, why are we doing this at this time? Uh, yesterday, it was not putting a backup QB in. Um, and I get it. You know, the one drive in the fourth quarter, you start the one yard line and maybe you don't want to put a backup QB in there. But you have two games left to figure out, you know, with some real tape, uh, what it's going to look like in, in that QB battle. So that was kind of disappointing and just weird, uh, like timeout usage this year and things like that. Maybe it's time to get a situational coach like the Bill Simmons thing, get a 13 year old that plays Madden because most of the time they know how to man handle clock better than these coaches. And, uh, so yeah, maybe we can find a, a teenager around here to do that. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh needs to do the same thing. It's his. I, I actually had. What is it about football coaches? How do they get to this job and they're so bad at these things? I don't understand it. Like there was 50 seconds left in the first half. Michigan had a 21 to 14 lead. It was third and four, and they run True Wilson out of all running backs on a sweep yeah. to set up a fourth and two, and then punted. Like I. If you're gonna run, if you're gonna plan on punting on fourth down in that field position, for the love of God, at least run a better play on third down. I don't know if maybe they change right. their mind after, but it's fourth and two. You're probably gonna get it, and you have a chance to effectively shut the door right there because you get the ball back in the second half. So that was really, and then Indiana calls a timeout to get the ball back, and then proceeds to run it three times into the halftime break. It, neither of those coaches know what's going on. And it's so frustrating, especially because Jim, maybe uh, Jim will talk to John at Thanksgiving because the Ravens are one of the most progressive game management teams in the NFL right now. And so that's, makes it even more infuriating. And you know how they do that? They hired a 25 year old to handle that. So uh, (laughs) a 25 year old econ major with no, uh, no football experience. Like, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know how you get to this point. I guess what it's teaching me is that really you get to a high point of football by just always out, out talenting the other team, I guess. And you don't get to really work on your coaching chops because man, these coaches, these really good coaches all the time do the most asinine clock management. And I just don't get it how they can be so bad at it. Yeah. It's absolutely infuriating. Um, Now to move on to a sport where coaches also have ridiculous pitfalls, but they're less (laughs) infuriating. Uh, there was some hockey played this Unless you're Jeff Blashill. Oh, my God. You, you can't get me started on Jeff Blashill. <laughs> Michigan State podcast. Um, he's actually had a better year this year. But nonetheless, uh, we move into Michigan State, Notre Dame. Michigan State takes four out of six points against a top ten team. Top They're five. for real. Yeah. Um, yeah, great weekend. They were a minute – a minute 40 away from actually taking all six, you know, on Friday night, they held on to a one, nothing lead where to be honest, they played better Saturday than they did Friday. Um, even though Saturday, most of the game, they were playing from behind. Uh, but Friday night just kind of was holding on John nothing and was keeping them in, uh, gave up a late goal. And then, uh, they lose in the shootout to lose the extra point, uh, on Friday night. But yeah, this team, uh, they're finding a way the last few weeks. I mean, this has been a tough stretch of a schedule and they're, they're holding their own and they seem to be not a fake third place team in the big 10 right now. Like they belong there with who they've played. So 
Uh, they have to keep rolling with that. But, you know, at this point in the season, I think it's John Lefteman's net uh, until proven otherwise. Um, you know, when you have a weekend against the number three team in the country and you give up zero goals at even strength, not much to complain about. Uh, the one goal Friday was six on five, and the two goals Saturday were uh, basically a five on three goal as as a penalty expired, and then a uh, another power play five on four goal. So, yeah, this team uh, they showed that they belonged with Notre Dame. It was not fluky. Uh, they had some fluky wins under Anastas, where you kind of would go the whole, the goalie, you know, Jake Hildebrand would win a game, and uh, it was kind of a fluky goal. But no, this. Uh, this was a real win. They they were the better team Saturday, and they uh, they got the win because of it. Of course, this had to happen this year, huh? This year where Michigan is the exact – I I would have been so thrilled if this would have happened any of the last two years so we could have gotten a real rivalry out of this thing, but now it feels like just the roles have reversed, at least for this season, and uh, we're just sitting here with Michigan almost a lock for the basement. And uh, Michigan State's the one who's going to be competing for a home playoff game or even the league. Fuck it. Like, I <laughs> I don't know. You know, you take four out of six points at home against Notre Dame, who was the clear league leader. Um, super important series next weekend on the road in Columbus. But we'll get to yeah. that in our midweek pod. Um, but, yeah, th- this is for real. Uh, I expect to see them in the top 25, top 20. Uh, next week, John Bucciagrass, so. who I'm not even like a huge fan of with his East Coast bias, but he promotes college hockey, and he just did his top 16, and he had MSU at 16. So they're starting to garner some national attention. and Yeah. Oh, it's so irritating. But congrats to you because you have sat through so many years of being a diehard <laughs> fan, having to deal with Anastas and uh, just bad, bad hockey. So I am happy for you. You're finally getting something positive because uh, this is good. This is good for Michigan State, and it's good for the Big Ten, in my opinion, too. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to uh, to see them. I don't know if you know. I would think they can correct the top twenty, but the funny, not the funny, I guess, would be the kind of surprising fact is that they didn't even get a single uh, single vote in the last poll. So we will see if that, uh, if that changes this week, but um, yeah, they were, they are proving that they're very real. I'm still, uh, it's still a long, long season, but you know, unlike uh, the win that they had over Penn state kind of felt like one of those old school fluky wins where Lefferman made close to 50 saves or, you know, they win a, they win a low scoring game where they score on one kind of bouncing puck and Lefferman kept them in it. But between the last two weekends with two comeback wins, uh, you know, sweeping Michigan on the – they're coming back against Michigan on the road, rather, and uh, coming back Saturday night and really gutting out a win over the number three team in the country. They uh, they might be pretty real. So it's, uh, it's going to be a fun season. Uh, I don't think we expected this with Taro Hirose leaving and, and stuff to have it happen this year, but being one year ahead of schedule would be nice. Yes, yes, it would be for Michigan State fans. Michigan fans, um, we played New Hampshire this weekend. I couldn't watch a second of it because I'm not going to pay to watch Michigan play New Hampshire, at least not this Michigan team. Uh, and they couldn't get a sweep, and that's pretty discouraging. So they got a 
I want to say four to two win on Friday night. Um, and with they, they scored a power play goal. So broke that streak. And then they lost three, two in overtime Saturday night. Uh, Jake Slaker got his first goal of the season. And yeah, so nothing super encouraging. I guess nothing super discouraging considering what we're dealing with. And uh, if you don't want to finish in the basement, next weekend is a really big, really big weekend at the Troll Center against Wisconsin. So, yeah, two bottom teams in the league. And uh, I still think Michigan has a chance to be better than Wisconsin, but they've really got to get. They've got to get some points to get if they go if they go over next weekend. That's going to be a really really big hole um, to climb out of where they're going to have to be taking points off like top teams the rest of the year. Oh yeah, yeah no it's uh it, it is paramount if you don't want to finish seventh to at at the least split the points evenly next weekend, but probably need more than yeah. that. So. Uh, yeah. So Hayden Levine started uh, both games too, which I think is probably the only real interesting thing to come out of uh, out of the weekend. Like, uh, I mean, I guess you can't really sit him after he gives up one goal Friday, but uh, you know, I, I was probably expecting a split of the games. But yeah, he took both games, so it'll be interesting to see um, if they go back to Strauss Man Friday night in Wisconsin, or if this is because uh, riding the hot hand until he until he loses it type of thing. Oh no. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm in the same boat. I'm really interested to see who ends up starting the next weekend, because on one hand, it could be a type of thing with Hayden Levine where, uh, they're just giving the senior a nod and saying, take the, take the non-conference games and, uh, get, get your starts. Or it could be a real changing of uh, what's going on. I mean, I know uh, Straussman had a not great weekend against Michigan State, but I, a- after the consistency of the high-level play he's been putting forth already this season, I would not be a proponent of taking the starting job away from him. But, you know, at this point, you're literally just playing for tournament, your Big Ten tournament seeding. So it's not going to hurt to see if Levine can get you anything more in Wisconsin next weekend. Um, bit of an odd thing with the hockey next weekend. We'll have our previews of the bowl series uh, on Thursday night, but uh, they're both actually Michigan and Michigan state are both playing Saturday, Sunday, instead of Friday, Saturday, because of uh, black Friday. So black Friday and Thanksgiving. So that'll be different. <laughs> um, I think yeah, MSU will actually be on TV for once. So uh, oh, be on TV Sunday. So cool. yeah, Sunday game, the Sunday afternoon game against Ohio State. So uh, yeah, and since most people won't, you know, obviously most people that listen to us are uh, Lions fans. You won't have to worry about that. They play Thursday, so now you can fill that void on Sunday with uh, actually getting a chance to see them not on BTN Plus. Yeah, and uh, with a real broadcasting crew, because man, I am. Already between the basketball game last Friday night and then all the hockey I've had to watch. No offense, because I know those students work hard on that broadcast, but uh, it makes you appreciate how professional real broadcasts are. Yes, it does. So (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it, for sure. So with that said, it is time to move uh, to our basketball previews. Michigan State is in Maui this weekend for the Maui Invitational with games on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. 
and Michigan is in the they are in the Bahamas for the Battle for Atlantis tournament being played in a ballroom and Wednesday, Thursday and Friday games. So we'll start with Michigan State because the Maui tournament is played first. Um, they open it up against Virginia Tech. So Jeremy, what are your thoughts ahead of this game? Yeah, so uh, not a ton still early in the season, but Virginia Tech, uh, out of their 5-0, and um, four of their games have been against pretty low top-in-state type competition, but uh, they have somehow played an ACC game already, uh, actually started their season with an ACC game, which I didn't know was a thing. Super weird. Um, yeah, the ACC did yeah, ACC did a couple of those conference games at the beginning of the year. Super weird. I don't know why you would ever do that in basketball. Yeah, okay. All right. So, yeah, so they're 1-0 in the uh, ACC. They beat Clemson on opening night for them. Um, you know, kind of a theme, I think, in Maui, just looking about, you know, the matchups that could lay ahead is that uh, I hope Aaron Henry's ankles have really fully healed up because he's going to be pretty important. Uh, Virginia Tech has a – you know, kind of a a tall two or a stretch three with uh, Landers Nolly, who's got 20 points a game at this point in the season, uh, went for over 30, I want to say, against Clemson. So it's going to be an interesting matchup where I think Aaron Henry on the defensive side of the court, where he's probably state's best defender outside of maybe Xavier Tillman, uh, is going to be counted on to to kind of hold a hold Nally in check. Uh, that's going to probably be the important matchup if you're looking for one player against player matchup on that game. Yeah, and uh, definitely agree with you. Aaron Henry's defensive play is going to be paramount for Michigan State to win. I really do think they will win. Um, seems like a pretty direct path to the championship game. Uh, speaking of that, uh, what are their potential semifinal matchups if they beat Virginia Tech? Yeah, so so they would play the if they were to get past Virginia Tech, they would play the winner of uh, Dayton versus Georgia. Uh, pretty even matchup there with sixty one versus fifty two in the Kempom ratings with Dayton being the higher ranked team. Uh, pretty fun uh, road ahead for me. It's either Tom Crean uh, against Izzo, which would be pretty fun, I think, and be very gifable, uh, or our friend Eric, who always does the picks against us, uh, is a Dayton grad. So um, the entire time the Ohio State football game was going on against Michigan State, he kept saying that I could get him back uh, this week. And I hope we do. I hope we win by 40 and then, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just just be as obnoxious as possible about it um, as we're doing there because we don't give a, a damn about the whole state of Ohio or whatever stupid-ass song we can come up with. So, uh Yeah. It's uh, it's gonna be an interesting game, and again, if if Dayton is the matchup, it's another one for uh, an Aaron Henry uh, spotlight again, as Dayton's got a forward Obi Topin. I'm gonna say it's pronounced um, Obi Topin, Obi Topin. Uh, but he averaging over 20 points a game. And he's just a sophomore, so uh, really talented player. That could be a fun matchup. Uh, a couple sophomores going at each other. Yeah, definitely, and. Um... I think both of those matchups would be really fun. Uh, a little bit more interesting now that I've seen the Ken Palm numbers because I did not realize Georgia was uh, up to, up in the top 70. And I didn't realize Dayton was 52nd either. So a couple of potential really interesting matchups. 
And then you go to the championship game. The entire the other side of the bracket contains Kansas, Chaminade, BYU, or UCLA. And um, obviously the plan here is probably for a Michigan State-Kansas championship game. But uh, those other teams aren't too bad either. They're both rated a little lower than Georgia and Dayton. Uh, so how, how do we see this playing out? Yeah, I can't really see uh, where the Michigan State group, you know, like MSU is up to number two in Kempom, but then the other three teams are pretty close with a 41, 52, and uh, 61 ranking. Not so on the other side. First of all, you have Chaminade, which is a D2 team, so obviously um, quite low. You have Kansas at eight, and then you have to go all the way to 73 to have the second best team of BYU, as UCLA is at 104. So it clearly kind of sets up that Kansas should be the team. Uh, if Kansas is not the team that there's probably been a pretty monumental upset on the way there. Um, so I haven't looked ahead to Kansas too much yet because uh, I loathe Bill Self and I only want to spend seven seconds thinking about it if I have to. Um, so, yeah, I'll be pulling for UCLA or someone to, to get the upset because I really just never enjoy playing Kansas ever. Uh, I find their fans to be worse than Big Blue Nation and just about the worst type of people. So uh, if we play them, great. But I'd like to avoid them if we can because I don't want to give them any satisfaction. Yeah, interesting. Um, your thoughts about Kansas. Uh, so Maybe it's because we've played them more often. I don't know what it is, but they are. They're assholes. Then, then we're going to throw back to 2013. What are your thoughts as the, the Trey Burke game unfolds against Kansas? Because I know that has to kill uh, you either way that goes, right? Well, yeah, I just kept watching going like, so when, when does the, when does the terrorist attack happen? When, oh, does, uh, <laughs> when does the building fall apart? Uh, no, no, in all actuality, I, I, Michigan basketball has been pretty hard to hate under Beeline. Like, uh, Trey Burke was pretty likable. So yeah, I, he was. you know, uh, it was one of those where like, I didn't want Kansas to win either but at least I didn't have to deal with it if they did win as much as like if Michigan won but uh no Trey Burke was so likable uh that that game was uh it was insane yeah my entire house was asleep because I think it started at 9 p.m and I was like 15 <laughs> always I woke everybody up when Trey Burke hit that shot <laughs> oh man oh man yeah what a run that was Got to reminisce on the good times, man. Um, so, so getting back to Maui, what, what's your thoughts on this? What's a what's a goal you would set for Michigan State? It has to be to win it, win the thing, right? Because I mean, nobody'd be upset yeah. if you go to the final, and well, you might be upset, but nobody's going to be upset with the team if you win your first two and go and lose a close one to Kansas. But the, the goal's just got to be to win the whole thing, right? Yeah, absolutely, especially with. Um you know, the Champions Classic game being pretty ugly, uh, you know, not just losing, but really that was an ugly game. You didn't, it wasn't quite like uh, maybe the opener against Kansas last year where you uh, showed a little bit better effort. Um, so, no, yeah, with the, uh, with the rough start there and coming off of a week where you uh, had a big win at Seton Hall, you definitely don't want to then go out to Maui and lose – before the championship game, um, losing to Kansas, if that were to happen, okay, that's fine. It's uh, 
early in the season, you're in a tournament where you're playing your third game in three days, weird stuff can happen. But uh, you got to get past Virginia Tech for sure. And then I think Virginia Tech is probably the best out of that group of three. So then you really need to take business against either Dayton or Georgia. Uh, Cause I think, you know, that should be an easier game for MSU. So uh, that's the goal. Got to get to the championship game. Anything below that would be uh, a disappointment for sure. Okay. So, yeah, get to the championship game and see what happens. I like it. I, for one, as a neutral, am just dying for that Kansas-Michigan State matchup. Love big – the only thing that could make it better is if it was on one of their campuses because I am a big proponent of college – the best part of college athletics is the environment and love seeing those big matchups at home. But obviously in a tournament like this, you'll take a Kansas-Michigan State matchup in Maui. It'll be fun. It should be a fun tournament. Um, some of the other matchups, I'd say, if you are if you just have time throughout the week to tune into, I think the first round, uh, the first day of it is going to be pretty fun for the first half of the day. Is uh, MSU-Virginia Tech should be a pretty good game, and I think Georgia-Dayton will be excellent. And then uh, I, I honestly think Kansas-BYU could be more interesting if BYU wins the first game. It could be more interesting than a lot of people think. So just some fun matchups for people to watch for if you – outside of Michigan State, if you have time this week. Yeah, you got Kansas with uh, Snoop Dogg bringing strippers to the, to the Midnight Madness versus the <laughs> BYU team. So oh, man. that is going to be a matchup. The only thing that could make that uh, that matchup better is if it was like a Patino Louisville team going up against BYU. <laughs> yeah, maybe Patino can be like on. Can you know he's not in Greece, right? Can he come and call the game? Yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, that game would finish quick. Now to go to the battle for Atlantis, um, Michigan, Iowa. Brendan, that's what you end the show on right there. We have to end the show. <laughs> That's better than your eat or yeet joke, okay? Come on now. Oh, I know, but I, what a winner! I, I had to, I had to put myself on mute because I was putting the coffee out. Come on now. I didn't know how to play it off to the end of the show. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, sorry, you don't get a battle what? for Atlantis preview. We had to go cut it. <laughs> <laughs> there are rules. No, yeah. So Atlantis probably even a better tournament than Maui. It says we just went through the Maui field and we kind of talked about how. Um, you know, maybe half the bracket in Maui is pretty decent, and then the other half is Kansas. Uh, Atlantis seems a little bit more evenly matched, for sure. Yeah, so we'll we'll start on Michigan's side of the bracket first. Um, and obviously, they open up with a game against Iowa State, who is 45th in Ken Palm right now. Um, Iowa State is a team I don't really know a ton about. They're 3-1 and one on the season. They do have a road loss to Oregon State, who's about 64th in Ken Palm. Other than that, all they've done is beat up on opponents 160th or lower. So this will be probably their first real test will be Michigan, which Ken Palm has at the moment is a one-point Michigan victory. So doesn't get much tighter than that. Um, Iowa State, no. so that's going to be a good game. and you really would like to see Michigan get a win to just to touch on Michigan. I don't know how valid the source is, but I did see a tweet talking about how uh, almost as a mini preview of the battle for Atlantis tournament, 
and they reference Franz returning. So I don't know. And I went to that person's bio and it said Michigan basketball was part of their bio, not like as a fan, it seemed. It seemed like they had some. I wish I could find the tweet right now. But either way, I think Franz could be returning on Wednesday, which would be huge for this Michigan team to add a. I mean, he's just a matchup nightmare for most teams. He's six foot nine and can play the two and the three. So, and he has a great three point shot. And he's one of the only college players in college basketball who has experience shooting from the FIBA line for more than a four-game sample size. So he's a matchup nightmare, and it would be really big to see him even come in and contribute 15 or 20 minutes. Um, In terms of the other matchup in this bracket, it is North Carolina versus Alabama which is a little bit more lopsided, North Carolina being ranked ninth in, t- ninth in Ken Palm and Alabama being 77th. So it- it's very likely if Michigan wins, they take on UNC. If they lose, they'll take on Alabama. So uh, my, ex- my expectations for Thursday very much depend on what happens Wednesday <laughs> because those are two very different teams. Yeah. Um, obviously – if fun fact though, if you win and get to play North Carolina, it'll be the third year in a row Michigan and North Carolina have played, which is pretty interesting considering I don't remember playing. Hey, how has that gone for North Carolina? What? Said so how has that gone for North Carolina? Well, when they played at home, it went very well, and when they played on the road, it went very poorly. <laughs> um. So, if so we need to, need to rubber match it with a uh, conference center with continental breakfast going on. Yeah. So I'm looking to see because it, I wish we even had a reference for how to feel about this game. Um, but those last two matchups were against a beeline team that just did weird things that threw off freshmen. And when you have a team that the, the predominant contributors are freshmen, uh, that's a very helpful thing early in the season. So that's uh, that probably contributes to why Michigan blew them out at Chrysler last year. Uh, this is a team, I'm looking at their Ken Palm page right now. Their top two contributors are both freshmen. It's uh, Cole Anthony and Armando Becott, I think. And uh, that's going to be one of them. Uh, Anthony is a point guard, so I don't know how he plays compared to Cody White. But it looks like a similar type thing where they have a top-tier recruit come in at point guard as a freshman this year. He's got um, 32% usage. That's super high. So the the offense flows through him. That is good news for Michigan if it comes to a matchup with him because you have two point guards in Eli Brooks and Xavier Simpson who are really good defensively, like top-tier in the Big Ten defensively. So that should be helpful. Uh, Armando is a center, and he is six foot ten, and he's also a freshman. So I would also tip the uh, edge to John Teske in that matchup. The problem is, if, is when John Teske has to go off the court. So I actually, despite them being a top ten team per Ken Palm, I would give Michigan a decent chance in this game just because of the way the matchup works. Um, but, yeah, in terms of Alabama, again, I do not know much. So I'll go to their Ken Palm page, and we'll see what we have here. They do have losses to 
the University of Pennsylvania and Rhode Island already. So that's not great. Uh, they'll probably <laughs> they'll probably get beat pretty handily by North Carolina, I would guess. So if Michigan ends up playing them on Thursday, that's one you probably need to win. For sure, for sure. If uh, Michigan plays Alabama, they need to uh, they need to win and probably win handily because that's a team with a new coach also. Uh, but Michigan has much more talent uh, with their new coach. So they, they should definitely handle that one if it was unfortunate. Yeah. But, no, just like you with uh, Wynasty, MSU, Kansas, I would say the same thing. Michigan, UNC is uh, – it's like the Michigan-Florida matchup on the hard court. We somehow <laughs> always get to see you guys play each other, and I would like to see that again. So I think it would uh, be pretty cool to, to get that in Atlantis on, uh, on Thanksgiving night. So. Anytime you can give me an opportunity to watch their powder blue on our maze jerseys, I think that is one of that's one of my favorite on court combos that there are in college basketball. So I'll take that whenever I can get it. Um, so this is a side of the bracket that is better than the best side of the Maui bracket because you have three top fifty teams compared to the two you have in Maui. This is 100% the inferior side of the Battle for Atlantis bracket. So you could probably play three out of these four teams I'm about to list. I'll start with the fourth one. Southern Miss is ranked 230 in Ken Palm. They're probably not going to get a win in, in this tournament. They're the only team ranked below 100, and they are far below 100. Um, the other three teams, all top 20 in Ken Palm. You have Gonzaga, who's number five. Seton Hall, who state fans and Michigan fans who watch that game should be familiar with at 19. And Oregon at 15. It is a gauntlet over there. So the matchups in particular are Gonzaga and Southern Miss, so that should probably be a blowout. And then Seton Hall and Oregon, which uh, let me pull up what time that game is being played. So we can all tune in because <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Oh yeah, that's gonna be a good one. I think uh, seeing Miles Powell uh, again, maybe a little too soon for MSU fans to want to see it, but um, yeah, that should be a good one. Yeah, good, that'll uh, be nine thirty Wednesday night. Whew, that's yeah, a good, so a good little uh, matchup there. Yeah. But hey, you guys, it's the number one bar night of the year. Uh, everyone's home going back out to the bars with their friends for Thanksgiving. And uh, you got to tie one on. Might as well tie one on while watching Miles Powell shoot in a uh, conference center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, this tournament is played in an actual ballroom and it usually creates weird lighting and weird shooting. So be warned, if you're going to tune into this, you will see basketball played in a conference room. Yeah, um, don't, uh, don't adjust your TV set. It, that is, that's how it's supposed to look. Yeah. Um, it so, looks very weird, but it's awesome. Yeah. So this side of the bracket, I don't know how to make heads or tails. Considering the high variant – well, not even that high variance. Oh, never mind. High variance places that Michigan could be playing – and the also the high variance of how this side of the bracket can go, I would not be surprised to see Michigan play Gonzaga, Seton Hall, or Oregon at all. 
Michigan is most yeah. likely going to either be playing in the first, third, or fifth place game. Um, and the only team I'm almost sure they're not going to play is Southern Miss. So, because that would take Michigan losing to Iowa State and Alabama. Yeah, okay. if they're playing Southern Miss, either everything went very, very wrong for Michigan or everything went very, very wrong and weird on the other side of the bracket. So, yes. uh, you know, yeah, it's, uh, that seems very unlikely to, to have those, that combination of those things happening. Yes. So I'll start with the team that I am most aware of, be, being that I've actually seen them play a game so far. If Michigan plays Seton Hall, I do not anticipate them winning. That is a bad matchup, I think. Just, you know, Michigan State was able to have the talent to overcome those seven-foot defenders. I just, I mean, having John Teske is nice because you have a seven-footer of your own, but I do not see it going well if you have to take on uh, Seton Hall. The only upside is that Miles Powell clearly loves hero ball, and I think Xavier Absolutely. And in particular, Michigan's defense, how they defend the ball screen and force a lot of long twos, I think that could help. Um, But I don't want to see Seton Hall at all. So that moves us on to Oregon, who Michigan already plays at Chrysler on December 14th. So there is an interesting opportunity here for Michigan to be playing uh, a non-conference opponent twice in the regular season. Oregon is a team that is led by a lot of upperclassmen. I'm looking at their, their top six contributors. Uh, one, two, three. Okay. okay. Three of them are juniors and seniors. And then there's another guy, Anthony Mathis, who's a senior, who's right outside of that top six. Uh, only two freshmen in their top six contributors. Uh, they're a team who... Obviously, when you have that many upperclassmen in a college basketball lineup and you're also ranked pretty high, uh, it's not something that's super common in college basketball, but it's always a good sign. It means they're probably going to hit some big shots on you and they're probably not going to get let any pressure or um, just generally the emotions of the game take control of them. Uh, this is a pretty talented team who runs a lot of offense through their point guard, Peyton Pritchard. And I think it would be interesting to see these two teams play, not only because I think this is a really good team, but I'm interested to see. It'll be our first opportunity to get a run at watching Juwan Howard make second game adjustments against the team before we even get the conference play. So that that's kind of – Good point. Yeah, that's kind of my interest in seeing it because, you know, that's that was always – something John Beeline was really good at was he usually brings out a better attempt at beating a team his second time. Um, there's not many college, coaches in college basketball who could outduel him schematically. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see if that happens, how we get to see Juwan Howard do that. And then the last sure, opponent. So. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, go ahead. I was going to – they asked your uh, prediction for the tournament, but we got one more opponent still to cover. So yes, Gonzaga, who has played nobody, they played Texas A&M, who is 92nd in Ken Palm, and that is the only team in the top 100 they have played. They did beat them by 30 points, though, on the road. So and they played. A, don't forget now they played the secret scrimmage thanks to Brendan Quinn uh, getting us a little intel against MSU again. So and they won that. So yes, they did. 
So this is going to be another really good Gonzaga team who's trying to get as many good tests in non-conference play as they can. Um, this is a team led by Philip Pet- Petrusev, I think is how you pronounce it. He is the uh, 6'11 sophomore. He's got the, a 30% usage rate, which for a center is really high. So I'd really be interested to see how John Teske would defend him. Um, it would worry me a bit because of fears of getting him in foul trouble. Um, this is a team that shoots the three pretty well, uh, but it has a but they really just have a really high effective field goal percentage, top 20 in the nation. They can attack the boards a lot, which has been Michigan's weakness so far this year. They have not been a good rebounding team. Gonzaga is a good rebounding team being top 50 in offensive rebounding and the number six team in the nation in defensive rebounding. So I don't really want to see Gonzaga, but it's to a point where I feel like they're the favorite to make it outside out that side of the bracket to the championship. If Michigan beats Iowa state and North Carolina, I don't really have any business being afraid of a particular matchup, I guess. So yeah, that's all three teams that we could see all have their, own uh own really good strengths yeah so so what do you see as kind of the uh the most likely outcome for michigan as we sit today without of course knowing all the uh matchups and everything but what what's i guess your expectation of uh their performance uh it's tough i really think my expectation is i'm trying to keep them tempered here is probably one win um, and two close losses. That's my expectation. My hope, and I think the goal here, is get two wins. Go two and one, and I'll feel really good about it. I was actually talking to my friend Ryan, who is a pretty big uh, college basketball buff, and um, I kind of set it out. If you get zero wins in a tournament with Alabama on Southern Miss, you're in big trouble. If you get one win, then I think you're about where we think you are, and you're going to fall somewhere between that four and six range in the Big Ten and hopefully be a little bit better than a bubble team and probably get a 10 or 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. If you get two wins, then maybe we're looking at, because the Big Ten looks pretty wide open after Michigan State and Ohio State being a surefire one and two. Um, I think you start eyeing that third spot as your goal. You're going to try and get that number three, and you feel fairly confident about doing so. And if you can go in, if you get three wins in this tournament, you're probably going to have to beat two top ten teams. And at that point, your goal is to just go win the go win the big time. Like, I, and not to say that this small sample size is determining your season's goals. This is more as a fan of what you're looking for. Um, and obviously, ba- basketball is a very high variance uh, type game, so these aren't just surefire things. But that's kind of how I see it. Um, uh, so I'm hoping for two wins. I think two and one would be a really good showing at this tournament, but I'm more expecting about one and two with two close losses to some pretty good teams. Yeah, I think that I think everything that you said makes sense. I think uh, uh, that's a good way to kind of approach a uh, an early season tournament. Uh, gives you a lot of opportunity, but to to learn more about the team. But then you always got to keep it in perspective of. Uh, it being a small sample size. So I think uh, it's going to be a fun week, though, with both schools playing in pretty prestigious tournaments uh, and good fields. Um, 
going to be, I'm sure, some very rational thoughts on Twitter after. Uh, so it should be, uh, it's just a good, it's a good feast week, I think, uh, between our two fan bases for basketball. Yeah, no, it should be a really, really fun week. Um, I, I'm looking forward to see how this plays out for both teams. I think Wednesday in particular, it's the only day that both teams will play. If we get uh, two Big Ten, Big 12 matchups with uh, Kansas, Michigan State and Iowa State, Michigan, I think could be a really, really fun day. Just because two very different styles of play in those conferences, and I love watching them clash. (laughs) Yeah, we we have a history of good games between the two conferences, and – so I think that's that would be great. Uh, I think that's what we should be rooting for. Uh, give us a good little Wednesday night going into uh, Thanksgiving on Thursday. Yes, absolutely. And uh, that's all we got. So hopefully yeah. let's all enjoy a fun, fun week of college basketball. And we will be back on Thursday night to recap the Maui tournament and the first two games of battle for atlantis uh it should be fun uh we'll be sitting here stuffed with turkey and other food and hopefully happy about our sports for sure yeah it's uh and thursday night don't forget we have uh we'll have to recap another in the uh house divided derby uh because our teams are playing each other on thanksgiving day so oh man uh, it'll be a fun day to record uh uh, again, with both of our disappointing pro football teams. So, um, uh, I don't think we like, I don't think either one of us likes our pro football teams right now, but we still have to bring it up. So, <laughs> yeah, no, neither of us like it. Um, I'm pretty sure we, so I'm following the Lions just started. When you listen to this, you should know more about what's about to happen against Washington. They, uh, it's a full on toilet bowl. They blew a kit coverage and gave Washington really good field position. And three plays in, Washington fumbled the ball. And Detroit now has it at the 25-yard line of Washington. So, maybe one of my teams will finally be able to beat Dwayne Haskins. I was going to say, you get to enjoy uh, taking some pain out on Dwayne Haskins today. So, a good way for you to start Ohio State week. Uh, Don't give yourself a stomach ulcer this week. Just try and get through it. Uh, And... uh, and, you know, don't let too many moms hit on you uh, at the Frozen premiere weekend. So, yeah, yep. one day left. Get through it. <laughs> one day left. Time to go watch the Lions lose. <laughs>